Hello, welcome to the Better Outcomes Show, where we explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Each episode, we bring you a conversation with leaders across the healthcare industry, exploring topics ranging from new treatment techniques and interventions to novel service delivery methods and business models. And now your host, Rafi Salazar from Rehab U Practice Solutions, a leader in patient engagement and retention strategy. Let's explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Well, hello again. Welcome to another episode of the Better Outcomes Show. I'm your host, Rafi Salazar from Rehab U Practice Solutions. Well, if you're on the email list, you likely got the announcement that the book, Better Outcomes, A Guide to Humanizing Healthcare, will be out and available that first week in October of 2022. It is available now for pre-order both in Kindle and uh, paperback or hard hard copy um, on Amazon. The best way to find that link is you can go to, you can either just search Better Outcomes, A Guide to Humanizing Healthcare in Amazon, or you can go to rehabupracticesolutions.com slash books, and then click the learn more button. It'll take you right there. Uh, the publisher tells me that sometimes they get the books done before their <coughs> their date, so to speak. <laughs> but we're we're going with the uh, the second week in October for uh, for conservative reasons, just to make sure that we've got the wiggle room if we need it. We will be doing a few giveaways of the book, probably that month of September, maybe the tail end of August. I figure what I'm going to try to do is six or eight weeks before the book comes out. We'll do some giveaways, uh, get a, a free copy out to some folks, and uh, you know, st- we'll keep you in the loop as far as, as how that's going to work and what you got to do to get entered for uh, a free copy of the book. Anyways, um, let's move on to the topic of hand this week, which is um, the business of movement. So over the next couple episodes... Um, I, I said a while back that what we wanted to do is start breaking down or kind of lumping groups of episodes together kind of by topic. I have really no idea yet how I'm going to make it work on the organization end on the back end so that it's easy to like tag them all and find them all on the website. But at least we're going to group a series of episodes kind of, you know, in three, four episodes at a time on a given topic. This topic is going to be all about moving into the the businessy side of things. So The Business of Movement is a book co-authored by uh, Dr. Jeremy Hall, and I'll tell you a little bit about him before we dive in. Uh, But it's about kind of building individual practice as a clinician, independent practice, and kind of a network of other specialties and clinicians um, in order to get a patient or a client the the services they that they need specifically this this book is about uh, functional movement screenings and all that sort of thing so we talk a little bit about that in the book but it's or in the in this episode but it's going to kind of be the gateway into the episode that's going to follow which is with uh, Mike uh, Pekatowski from the physical therapy brokers uh, organization. He, he basically is a, an advisor to organizations either looking to sell or to purchase uh, physical therapy clinics. And in that episode, we're going to talk a lot about building value in the practice, about exit strategy, exit planning, 
um, all of the things that go and entail really when you when you make the decision, okay, I want to sell the business, what do I have to do to get it ready to set to sell? What are the things that I need to be aware of? Kind of just in the way deals are structured and, and all that kind of stuff. So we talk about that. And then over the next couple episodes following, we'll have an episode on uh, building mission, vi- vision, values, and purpose into your organization and how that can impact profitability. And then what to do and how to grow and scale a clinic or a, a practice in a way that maintains a people first culture. So look forward to those episodes over the next, that'll probably take us through June at, at this point. So anyways, this week, business of movement. So Dr. Jeremy Hall is a physical therapist. He's a strength and a, and a conditioning coach. He's the co-author of this book, Business of Movement, and he's the founder of Resilient Movement, which is a digital wellness company that teaches the skills to develop physical independence across a lifetime. Jeremy's mission is to educate and empower individuals with the knowledge and tools necessary to construct a physically robust lifestyle that is sustainable and able to adapt to the constantly changing stresses and challenges of daily life. His most recent publication, in conjunction with Gray Cook, co-founder of the Functional Movement System, is titled The Business of Movement, Principles, Patterns, and Productivity. The book provides professionals in healthcare, fitness, and high performance with a blueprint for more effective and efficient practice and better outcomes through systems and strategies that put movement first. And we'll link to the book, we'll link to uh, Jeremy's website, Uh, his LinkedIn, all of that kind of stuff in the show notes. You can head on over to betteroutcomes.show and find it there. We'll have all the links there in case you wanted to follow up, buy the book, or or connect with Jeremy. So without further ado, here is Dr. Jeremy Hall talking about the business of movement. Well, hey, Jeremy, welcome to the show. How are you? Doing great, Rafi. Appreciate you having me on. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about um, the business of movement and functional movement and all that kind of stuff. But before we do that, why don't you give us a little bit of background about yourself, your work, and kind of what brought you to this project here? Yeah, so uh, you know, I'm a physical therapist uh, and strength coach, and um, in my more recent life, also a writer. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, and you know, I run a you know private uh, kind of clinical practice. Uh, I do a lot of of online now remote um, consulting and, and um, kind of a hybrid of uh, clinical work and training uh, with patients. Uh, and then for the past going on four years, uh, I've worked in the, the health technology space um, with the company Force Therapeutics, it's, you know, really working, trying to kind of improve access to care for patients, um, helping to engage them uh, in their recovery uh, after surgery. So yeah, the really the last two years, uh, I've been working on um, this book project uh, called Business of Movement with um, Greg Cook, who's one of the, the founders of uh, Functional Movement Systems. And that's actually really started to inform uh, the direction that I'm kind of taking my work today, yeah. um, which is helping you know, I think really trying to help break down some of the barriers that are, you know, between health and fitness professionals and, uh, you know, coaches and sports teams and really helping them, you know, understand how to educate their patients, their clients, their athletes um, around, you know, kind of the, the broad, you know, term movement. Um, but, you know, 
how to kind of take ownership of that uh, and really gain kind of greater independence in, in managing you know their physical you know well-being for the long term so um i actually i'm literally stealing a line uh, from you from one of your other episodes but you know i think really it's about like helping you know health and fitness professionals really become knowledge translators yeah. and not just interventionalists so um yeah that, that's really the the work that i'm really trying to focus on uh moving forward yeah. So then talk a little bit about the book. I know you mentioned the title and kind of what it's about. Give us that kind of like a 30,000 foot overview. Yeah. Yeah. So for, um, you know, for anyone who's kind of familiar with um, functional movement systems and, um, you know, they have kind of a battery of you know, tests and screens, um, you know, some are more focused for clinicians. Uh, some are kind of very broad. The functional movement screen is, is a very um kind of broad you know test for they they kind of say right every human yeah <laughs> trying to capture you know movement from from that perspective uh and then some that are you know more for you know fitness and performance but um you know i my entry point to um fms was when i uh you know started my career as a, a strength coach for the phillies uh in their minor leagues before i went to pt school and you know when i came out uh, I, I had a little bit of exposure <clears throat> to the um, to the movement screen from my time with the baseball team, but then um, afterwards, uh, going through their the selective functional movement assessment um, certification and kind of using that in in clinical practice. But I, I think even at that time, I didn't totally appreciate the thirty thousand foot view of kind of how that the two fit into clinical practice. Um, so the, the book, Business Movement, is really trying to capture, um, you know, as best as I could, working with Gray, you know, the how they as, as a group uh, developed the, the different tests, kind of what their perspective was and their goal, and kind of laying that out for folks and seeing um, really the, the common thread that runs and connects them all together. And then helping folks kind of see no matter where you are on that continuum of, uh, of working with, you know, whether it's on the healthcare side, right, you know, injured folks, um, really trying to address health um, and wellness. And then, you know, if you're all on the other side and high performance and professional sports and um, everyone uh, can be speaking the same language <clears throat> and looking at the person in front of you through a, a similar lens. Uh, and by doing that, you know, it helps to inform a little bit of the, the actions you take, you know, the, the intervention that, you know, the, the quiver of, of interventions that you have at your disposal, um, you know, helps really be a little more targeted in, in how you deliver that. And then also how you either help a uh, you know that patient or that client kind of through uh, that journey of you know physical uh, well-being or hand them off to you know that other person that can uh, take them the next step along the road so it's it's kind of trying to to capture all of that and put it into a model that um you know again no matter where you are as as a professional you can kind of look at what you're doing today see the the boxes that you're filling and, and checking and then you know help really to shape and form your your clinical practice first 
Um, yeah. and then kind of, you know, spin that back into your, your business practices. On the yeah. Side. Yeah. I think one of the chapter, chapter three, I think is the one on, on the, the modern model of movement. I love how you, they broke down the layers of movement. Like you've got health and you've got wellness and fitness and production. And they, the way they kind of play <clears throat> it out is, is really, it's a good way of looking at it. Right. Yeah. I think it's really, uh, yeah, it's helpful to have just that, that framework, right. And kind of being able to, to look at it from the perspective of, you know, I think I, you know, always felt in the clinic that I was kind of straddling two worlds, uh -huh. of, um, you know, high performance, but also, you know, the, the grandmothers and, and the folks who are coming yeah. in really just need to be able to get out of the chair safely. Um, but not necessarily being able always in the most efficient or effective way, you know, connect people and realize that fitness, as we think of fitness, right, is uh, uh, Equinox Gym and it's, uh, you yeah. know, whatever, boot <laughs> camp type stuff, but really fitness as a, as a term and as a quality is something that we all um, need. We, you know, we, our lives uh, require different degrees of it, um, but that we should always be trying to move um, folks, no matter where they are, uh, in what you know, stage of their life to, you know, make sure that that fitness that they have matches the, uh, you know, the activity and the life that they're trying to leave and, and, or lead and being able to, um, you know, again, be producing at a, a level, um, you know, getting the results, uh, and the quality that, that they need to have. So, um, yeah, I think, I think it was helpful in, in kind of, taking some of the marketing uh, of, you know, yeah. what, what we're told these different things are and just spin it into a perspective of, oh, okay, this actually applies to everyone really broadly. So. Exactly. Yeah. So talk a little bit about then like the physical vital signs that you, you mentioned, like, you know, pain and dysfunction and how they, how they might present themselves maybe in the clinical or even the non-clinical scenarios, like a, a performance athlete or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. The, you know, really vital signs, you know, when I think we, we all think of vital signs, um, right. Are in the, the sense of yeah. you know, heart rate, breathing. Um, it's all of those qualities of, um, you know, your physical body that are that screen basically, right. That we're looking at and saying, you know, we expect this range, um, is where you should be falling. And as long as we see that, um, we can assume safely or not, but we can assume that everything is okay. Um, you know, you're, you're operating within right. The, the green of, of where you need to be. Um, so, you know, we have that for, um, right. Your car cardiovascular system, vision, uh, respiratory system. And I think, you know, really globally to movement, um, outside of, you know, Hey, raise your arm. Ow, oh, that hurts. Oh, you, we have a problem. Really that that's kind of as, as good as a screen as we had, um, you know, I know I've, I've had sports, you know, screenings, pre-participation, pre-participation screens, uh, before playing sports and it was, yeah, yeah. literally arms overhead, you know, <laughs> pose, okay, you're fine. Um, so I think, you know, part of it is, uh, pain should absolutely be, you know, that is a vital sign and shouldn't be, uh, walking around or having pain with movement, but really being able to, um, you know, capture, in a consistent way, in a reliable way across the, the full spectrum of human life, 
um, you know, what are those movements that um, we should see within, you know, that range and say, hey, this, this indicates to us that <clears throat> everything is operating uh, good enough, well, well enough, right, that yeah. uh, we shouldn't be overly concerned about kind of risk down the road or something cropping up. So, <clears throat> you know, that's where um, the, the functional movement screen is, is really kind of deployed as that, um, that test that's, that's capturing um, movement as that kind of physical vital sign. So the, you know, pain being the, the easy one doesn't need a lot of explanation, yeah. but the, that kind of definition of dysfunction um, is, you know, looking at kind of any deviation, compensation, substitution from um, the norm and the norm being right, kind of what we would expect as being full pain-free range of motion uh, and with control, you know, through those, um, you know, the test is seven movements. Um, and there, the movements are designed to um, capture that developmental progression, right? That, that every baby goes through of kind of how we uh, neurologically learn how to move. Um, so it's really just trying to, um, whether it's, you know, in the PT clinic or, you know, at uh, a gym before you go jump into a training program, um, being the same thing as if you were going to take someone's blood pressure and you're going to check their heart rate and you're going to say, okay, this looks fine. Uh, there's nothing that is overly concerning. There's not pain that um, is going to be exacerbated or, you know, maybe a yeah. deeper problem there. So it's really, uh, you know, acting as that kind of top line screen it is but you know it's in the name right it's just kind of saying all right the everything seems good or uh when it indicates pain or dysfunction then um that just you know infers hey we need to take a little closer look and, and dive into what might be the root of of what we're seeing here yeah i think one of the important things about it too is like you're kind of you are kind of separating <clears throat> pain from the movement right and you can say well you might not have pain but you have you know, X, Y, Z dysfunction or compensation or whatever going on in this particular movement. And that might be predictive of an issue down the road or, or you know, predictive or, or even like demonstrate that there's some kind of dysfunction happening, right? Yeah, the, I think what's, what's interesting and, and what, you know, I was uh, guilty of and, and, you know, having the benefit of kind of working uh, pretty closely with the person who developed it was, um, their their perspective or kind of Gray's perspective, right, is, is it's a screen. So what I care about is does someone have pain? Um, that tells me a lot of information that I need to go dig into. Or can they just not complete this motion yeah. in any way, shape, or form? Um, anything beyond that is really then, right, you're, you're trying to slice and, and really get into the weeds, and that might actually not be... Um, valuable or important or you know as uh predictive of, of these other things as just kind of we want to catch the the folks on the bottom end of um that that spectrum right and catch the the folks that are at the most risk and everyone else as long as uh you know they can get a little bit of guidance and get put on the right path a lot of that can probably just resolve on its own you know through healthier behaviors and yeah and style well and it kind of leads a little bit into that like the whole because movement is a continuum and you've got to kind of stratify it, if you would, and that kind of helps 
with uh, the assessment and the you know, treatment planning and all that, but the, this kind of model does help itself or lend itself to the, the idea of like a continuum approach, right? Where you've got maybe somebody that is getting screened and put into like an actual physical rehabilitation program, but then what happens after like discharge planning, like what comes next? Is there a wellness or fitness program afterwards? And I, you do talk about that a little bit in the book, like laying out this continuum of, of not just like these almost episodic interventions, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think, and, and I think that that speaks kind of to, um, you know, the barriers and, and the silos of, um, you know, we, we look at a lot of things as, well, this is a, a health problem yeah. or, oh, well, this is a fitness problem. And really, um, what can look like a fitness problem can be actually a health problem and you can throw a lot of fitness at it, but that isn't necessarily going to resolve what that health problem was. Um, and, and vice versa, you know, it's kind of recognizing where in that chain is the, the weakest link. Um, yeah. And, and that weakest link is going to ultimately be the point of failure. So um, being able to, you know, have the tools and, and obviously the, the FMS um, tools are, are just that. They're tools that are part of, right, the, all of the other tools that we have to paint that, that full picture. But being able to zero in and say, you know, the person in front of me, um, I might not actually not be the best person. Yeah. I might not be able to fill that need that they need. So then, um, right. Being able to, to know and say, all right, there's, there's someone that I need to find or that, you know, I need to have as part of my network, um, that can address that. And then you really are taking a, you know, a holistic, that term gets thrown around a lot. Um, but that really actually holistic care is, um, not always what you deliver. It's, you know, being able to connect the dots so that someone can just receive it from other other sources yeah yeah one of the quotes from the book is is regardless of our respective knowledge base if we're concerned about the best interests of patients and clients it's in our best interest as well to know where the value of our skills stop and someone else begins and that's kind of like that idea of maybe you have a network of folks or maybe you just i guess if you're if you're in the in the business of, of movement and health and all that it might just be a, a an opportunity to to bring someone on board your team right <laughs> that, yeah that has those yeah. skills yeah and that's where i think you see a lot more of those kind of um you know they they, they always give the example of you know a sports team has the medical and a training staff you know there's there's 10 people who are all bringing all of their you know multidisciplinary um interest to bear on that one person in most, you know, environments in the world that like you can't get that yeah, unless yeah. you have the money and the resources to, to pay for it. So I, I do think it is, um, it is great to see, you know, gyms that also have a, a PT clinic in it or, you know, a doctor's office that also, you know, is, is able to kind of capture um, and have that, that continuity between it. Um, but you know, that's, again, that not every community, you know, it has the ability to you know, bring everyone under one roof, but it can still be just as beneficial. Um, if you know, yeah, in that community, your, your connections are just strong enough that, um, you can still offer, you know, some version of that to folks. Yeah. Yeah. It's all about, again, doing what's best for the patient or the client at the right time. And sometimes it's a network, sometimes it's people you have in house. Uh, how much of that? I'm in, I'm assuming a lot of this is obviously dictated too by 
the uh, the client's either financial ability to pay or their their insurance. You know, like many insurances aren't going to cover a fitness or wellness program or something like that, right? Yeah, yeah. The I, I think you know what I've seen um, is is that challenge, right? Of of kind of operating within, unfortunately or unfortunately, you know that insurance model um, that puts up a lot of barriers and, and yeah. makes it challenging sometimes to to get the patient to, you know, what that finish line, um, might be. And, you know, that those kind of conversations and that kind of work has to happen. I think that where, where the real value comes into play is that, um, you know, much like, again, you know, taking your blood pressure, checking your heart rate, you know, there, the, the tests, um, and the screens, you know, are things that you can kind of give to patients and say, Hey, yeah. this is how you, you can be checking, um, yourself and periodically just making sure that everything is, you know, humming the engines, engines, uh, purring along and that there's nothing to worry about. Um, and unfortunately, you know, I, I think there is a big component that we don't always maybe have the time to, yeah to get to, or just, you know, when you're seeing a clinic full of people, but really that education and that transfer of knowledge to someone to say, um, you know, you're not going to have all of the solutions and all the answers, and I can't give you my PT degree, but you know, <laughs> here, here are the, the three things that focus on this, right? These are, these are those three weak points or, or really, you know, this is the one weak link that you, you need to really address and take care of. Um, and sometimes that can be the, you know, that 80, 20 play of that one thing is, is what has all those kind of ripple effects into everything else. Um, so I think doing, a as a, as a profession, but just as kind of an industry, you know, doing a, a better job of helping and, and using tools and taking that perspective to say like, what's the one thing, um, that I need to impart to this person, you know, the, the, on their eval, you know, that, that first time they're coming in and the last time they're coming in, um, that I can give them some actionable, um, steps to follow, but also some actionable ways for them to, to kind of self self assess and self monitor it so that, you know, that gets them a little further down the road independent and they yeah. know how to, to manage it, um, and then, right, incrementally, hopefully, you know, you're able to just kind of get that person where they're really only showing up when something, you know, goes goes astray or goes sideways, and um, you know, it's it's a it's a patient for life, right? But in a yeah. in a in a good way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's great. And I, so it's kind of like the idea of this this whole idea of building an independent practice and individualized care and all that. Like, does does this model kind of fit into this? kind of traditional big box therapy folks, you know, you see them like on every corner and they're, they're, they're running high volume of patients. Like this could work for somebody like that too. That's, that's very maybe time constrained, right? Like you're saying the one thing that I can give this, this patient. Um, but it also works for those independent clinicians that maybe have a little bit more time on their hands and can spend a little bit more time with hands-on treatment. Like how does this um, system kind of fit into, to either of those? Like, is it better suited for one or the other? Does it work kind of across the spectrum? Like, does it change the approach of maybe a big high volume clinic to like, Oh, you know what, maybe we don't need as many 
appointments or something like that, because what we're doing is, is, you know, transferring our knowledge or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, <laughs> that is like a big, I feel, you know, that could go in, in a million different directions. Yeah. I, I think at its core, um, having, having worked, you know, in the, in the kind of big, big box, you know, by, by the definition that I know, like you and I kind of understand, but, you know, in that environment, um, I always felt like I didn't have the time that I really needed on that first visit, that, that first interaction with the patient, um, was getting squeezed more and more and more and more. And I think, you know, what I've found now being in uh, an environment where, yeah, it is, I, I get to dictate how long I take. Um, that is where spending, you know, instead of 30 minutes, you know, an hour on that first visit to really um, do a, not just a thorough, you know, parts-based kind of diving in and, and, you know, checking every last, um, you know, body part and joint and, and getting into the weeds of it. But just having that time to, you know, do an effective kind of global assessment and then target the problem and then have that conversation um, with a patient of this is what I found. Um, this is what this is telling me. This is the, the one thing that between now and the next time I see you that I really want you to focus on. Um, I think that it's my belief, you know, that, that, that little bit of extra time makes up for a lot of the, you know, fall off, um, um patients don't come back patients, um, you know, don't feel like they're getting value out of, out of their time in the clinic. Um, all of that stuff I think is because when there's not a, a kind of an easy language or an easy way to, to talk about, you know, findings and put it in the, the words and, and the terms that that patient can understand, um, then you are just playing catch up every visit the after time, that. Yeah. You're, you're trying to reinforce, you know, why it's important and what the value is. So, um, yeah, I think really it's having those tools um, and, and just working through, I think, you know, what, especially in a big, busy clinic, um, when efficiency is key, being able to set up um, just those feedback loops of, you know, what, how can I be constantly um, gathering information and gathering data, um, whether that's, you know, within my treatment or, you know, when a patient walks through the door or out the door, you know, what your front desk is doing, you know, how, how can I create those feedback loops that can tell me um, in real time or really quickly that someone's moving in the, in the right direction. Um, because I think once, um, once you start leaning on a little more of the kind of in, intuition or the, you know, the art of, uh, yeah. treatment, then you end up kind of chasing, always trying to find the, the newest technique or the, or the thing that's gonna, you know, one, one manipulation, and that's going to make up for, uh, you know, 30 minutes of stretching and mobility work and everything else, you know, it, those all have a place. Um, but I think that it's a, it is about having a, a system and, and being able to take all, all the tools in your toolbox and kind of input them into some kind of process that yeah. is going to tell you what's working, what's not working. And then that just has, you know, the compounding effect on patients. And like you said, if, if they're getting better, if you're getting better in theory, they're, 
coming less, right? And they're yeah. leaving sooner. <laughs> but that's someone who, you know, without a doubt is going to come right back the second that something else happens. So Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah it, it, it kind of fits the idea again of like knowledge translation and clinicians, like our skill or our value is like what's in between our ears, right? Like the, the knowledge that we have and then applying that to situations. I tell students when I was teaching at the university and I tell my staff all the time, like there should be some kind of assessment and knowledge translation that happens in every single appointment, right? Like, cause that's how patients and clients feel and they recognize the value, right? Like, like you said, if you give them that one thing and they say, oh, you know, my shoulder doesn't hurt when, after I do this thing or whatever, it's yep. such a, a real tangible thing that they walk away with. And they're like, you know what, I'm going to do it. I'm going to work on it for the next week. And next time I see Jeremy, boom, you know, like we're going to move on the next thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, um, you know, what's the, the other interesting point, um, that was something that, you know, I kind of, um, learned um, from from Gray that you know he he really tries to focus on is um, kind of that perception perception versus reality right yeah. and, and I think we always not always I shouldn't say we uh, you know I I was always guilty of kind of assuming right that what I was saying was being received the way uh -huh. I thought it was and that you know that was that was moving the needle in some direction. Um, but really, you know, from, from their perspective of movement, actually kind of showing somebody like, Hey, you know, I'm going to ask you to squat with your squat down with your hands up overhead. Like, do you think that you could do that? And there's some people that would say like, you know, no, I don't think I could, but can, and there's people that have no doubt that they can, but can't. Can. <laughs> um, so, you know, and that, that in itself kind of, you know, dictates how you need to then transfer that knowledge and help kind of bring that person back, you know, align perception and, and reality together. Um, so, yeah, so I, I think it's, it's so much of um, trying to capture, yeah, from the patient. Um, yeah. Those, those signs um, or the, <clears throat> the feedback that either they offer that you can capture that just the, the better you can get at that, I think is what really separates the right those clinicians that can just kind of look, look at someone do something and, and get right to the root of it versus someone who's you know a new grad that's having to like run through their their whole list of special tests, tests. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah well and having those conversations with patients is that i'm assuming well i know like right <laughs> you know where i'm coming from like it's it's yeah. a skill too like if you notice that Maybe this patient thinks they can do something and they can't, or this client thinks they can do something, but their, their performance really doesn't dictate that they, they could in a safe way, or even in a, you know, if it's an athlete or something in a way that's at their top peak, like yeah. the ability to broach that topic with that client is hugely important too, right? And the ability to, to be able to do it in a way that's going to be, they're going to be receptive too. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And I think, especially when, when things start to end up in that, um, right, this is good. This is bad. Right. That, that is a, a tough, um, that's a tough model to, to be, um, working in with clients and patients because bad means, you know, that's some kind of reflection on them. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that's, that's where, yeah, again, it's really helpful, like in those conversations where, um, you know, if someone does, does a test or does a screen and, and it is, you know, all ones on, on the, the movement screen, you know, they can't do any of them. Um, it's really presented as just, Hey, this is information. This is just going to help us. This is going to help tell us what to do. 
<clears throat> this is you today. And it shouldn't be you in two weeks because yeah, we're going to exactly. work on it. Um, <laughs> so I think it's, it's, it's that, right. It's, it's trying to remove the, <clears throat> some of that either emotional or uh, you know, psychological kind of connection to tests and findings and, and what does this all mean? Um, I think it, nine times out of 10, just telling a patient, this is just information and this just is going to help us make better decisions. The both of us make better decisions um, going forward. And then that's just received in a, in a much more, I think, open way um, than scaring someone into, well, this is, this yeah. is a problem or this is bad. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Well, and one of the chapters in the book too, is all about kind of understanding the client and where they're coming from and all of that. And I'm assuming this whole piece kind of plays into that, right? Like if you know, you're dealing with, you know, a grandma that's having a hard time getting out of bed, the, what you, what you say and how you say it is going to be different than like this big bulky athlete that's trying to, you know, increase his broad jump. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and I think it's, it's helping people identify yeah, these are these are the good things that that you're doing, and that's great. And keep it up, and that's all helping. And here's a couple of things. Yeah, we need to work on, and that's yeah. it. Because um, everyone's still, you know, I think <clears throat> that's the other piece is is right. Uh, understanding that kind of um, in that continuum you know, production, um, which is you know people kind of think of. Uh, maybe more in terms of performance, right? So yeah. if you're, if you're producing at a high level, you're performing at a really high level, but production is really, you know, what is the output versus the input? Uh -huh. So, um, if you know, yeah, you're a grandma, you want to be able to play with your grandkids and, you know, go, go down in and in and out of the pool easily to do your aerobics class. And, you know, if it takes 30 minutes a day for her to stretch and mobilize and, you know, do all these things to be able to do that, then that's not really producing at a high level. Uh -huh. um, it may be necessary, you know, depending on what else she has going on. But, um, you know, that that level, that top tier of production, you know, it's it's not just reserved for, yeah, the athlete that's trying to be the top 1%. Um, it's really looking at, you know, what is important to that person? And how am I going to get them closer or, you know, past that point? Um, with the the least amount of required kind of effort, time, resources, um, you know, everything that that someone has to basically you know, kind of spend um, to get there. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Um, well, Jeremy, we're we're kind of reaching the the, the end here. Um, I always end with this: if there are one or two main takeaways you'd want, maybe a clinician or a athletic trainer, or somebody that's that's interested in this topic one or two main takeaways for them, what, what would they be? I mean, I think number one uh, is just get out there and uh, meet the other professionals that are in your community. Um, I think, you know, we, we kind of look at um, the clinic down the road uh, or, you know, the gym next door that pops up as competition. Um, sure, they are. But I think kind of understanding and going out there and meeting those people and, and get it, having an idea of what it is that they offer that maybe you don't um, and just building those relationships that are uh, mutually beneficial and, you know, uh, instructive and really helping to connect uh, and create a path that patients 
or, or your clients or whoever can kind of walk along and um, that you're confident that, you know, the integrity of what they're going to receive, the value is, is where you need it to be. Um, I think that's number one. It's just like bringing everyone on that continuum together. Uh, and then two, yeah, I think just um, before, you know, chasing again, you know, the, the newest technique, or you know, dedicating tons and tons of time and, and money to um, you know a, a certification course or or something that that you feel like is the one thing that's missing from you know your your practice. Um, it's just I I have found it going through the process of actually you know kind of working on this book and and reflecting on myself is is looking at you know first just creating for yourself. Um, some kind of process, you know, turning the, um, the scientific method around on yourself and try to really measure, quantify as best as you can, you know, what you're doing today, um, track it, get, get some data so that you can see maybe it's not what you're doing. It's just the, the one thing that, um, somewhere along the line is getting missed. And, and that is what can, can launch you into a new, um, you know, a new realm of, of success. So I think it's, um, it's just kind of taking the ego out of it and just trying to really be honest uh, and, and really assess. Yeah, just assess your work, um, test, test and test and retest and test and just keep refining um, until, you know, until you're at, on the top. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Jeremy. Where can people find out about you, get the book, all of all of the places, all the all the links? Where where can people find you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So uh the book is available on Amazon um or um through our publisher, which is um otpbooks.com. Uh yeah, I, you know, my work uh that I'm, you know, again, really kind of leaning into a little more is um uh resilientmovement.net. Um, that's my website. So I'm going to be, um, you know, trying to put more content out there and, and more opportunities to just kind of help folks, <clears throat> um, you know, just be, be more critical, um, towards the work they're doing and, and connecting people together. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's the, that's the main stuff. LinkedIn, I'm on LinkedIn. If anyone wants to, to look me up there, of course, yeah, <laughs> but, social media, right? <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. That's, I think I'm, I'm most, uh, most active on LinkedIn, unless you want to see uh, pictures of my baby, which is on Instagram, but that's <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks, Jeremy. Have a good one. Awesome. Appreciate it, Robbie. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Jeremy Hall, all about the business of movement. I think going back and listening to, to the conversation in preparation of this episode, I think the biggest thing that kind of just maybe just reinforces what I've always thought and always believed, but I view healthcare services, wellness services, all of that kind of stuff. I view it very much as not a closed pie or a fixed thing. You know, sometimes when I have conversations with clients and even other professionals in the local space, the local market where my clinic is is at, I get this sense of, well, I wouldn't want to refer a patient to this provider because what if they never come back? Or there's only this idea that there's only so many patients out there or clients out there that if we refer somebody to another 
practitioner or in like Jeremy said, if a, if a gym opens up down the street from you, <clears throat> it's very easy to view them really as competition taking away clients out of a, out of a fixed pool of clients, right? But I think the reality is, and especially in the musculoskeletal space where I'm, lo- where, where I work, chronic pain, musculoskeletal pain, physical rehabilitation, all of that kind of stuff. The reality is that there are more people experiencing pain and dysfunction than there are clinicians uh, available to treat them. So the fact that you're going to refer or you're thinking about referring a client to um, another service provider does not mean that you just lo- it's not a win uh, a zero sum game right like you're not losing because that happens if anything you're probably gaining in goodwill in word of mouth referrals in the feeling that this client or patient has about you that you care enough about them and their recovery that you're going to refer them to somebody else to get them the thing that they need right and we talk about building long-term successful practices in businesses that's a huge part of it is building the trust within the local community within your client base so that they know um, that you have their best interest at heart and i tell this to clients all the time especially especially when i'm i'm working with somebody um, because i do treat still in the clinic a couple days a week Um, especially when i'm working with a client who's got a chronic musculoskeletal uh, pain or persistent pain condition I usually start off by saying something along the lines of, listen, I cannot promise that I'm going to get you 100% better. I can't even promise that I'm the right guy for the job. But what I can promise you is that I'm going to do everything in my power to um, help you get to where you need to go or to to where you want to get to to meet your goals. Or I'm going to do my best to get you in contact with the people and the practitioners that will help you get there. Right. And just having that conversation at the outset really establishes that sense of of really trust and, and well-being between you and the and the client right like a lot of times especially again in the world where I work um, the physical rehab space or the physical medicine space a lot of folks that have been experiencing persistent pain or uh, like a nagging injury for a long time might have been to to a few clinicians before a few different facilities or organizations or clinics and you know, maybe they maybe they were let down. Maybe it didn't work out. Whatever whatever the case may be, there's always like this little a, a guard up, especially with with folks experiencing chronic pain. Like they don't want to get let down again. I know we've talked about that in past episodes. I think we've done several episodes on on chronic pain. Um, and there's this idea among among people experiencing chronic pain that they don't want to get their hopes up for recovery. Um, they don't necessarily know if you understand them or you understand where they're coming from. So crossing that trust bridge is huge for them. And just taking the time to say something as simple as, listen, I might not be the right clinician for you, but we're going to try to to do everything we can to either get you better or to get you in contact with the folks that can help you get better, right? So anyways, that's that's my thoughts on that. So it's not a... It's not a zero-sum game. It's not a fixed pie. There's there's more opportunity out there for folks in the health, wellness, and healthcare space um, than there ever has been. And part of that is because of things like technology allowing us to do, it basically erases geographical boundaries, right, in a lot of ways. 
Um, and the fact that us as clinicians, I know I harp on this all the time, but us as clinicians, our, our value is knowledge translation almost above all else, right? And we take this vast array of, of technical knowledge and clinical research and, and clinical understanding, and we're able to to distill that down in a way that's easy to understand and, and easy for clients to apply in their own situation in their own life. And that de- doesn't necessarily need to happen in a clinic, but I, I digress talking about uh, technology and healthcare, right? Um, that is it for this week. If, uh, if you like the show, head on over to iTunes, leave us a rating and review. Um, if you want to be notified when we release new episodes, you can always head on over to uh, rehabupracticesolutions.com and click on the drop down menu under insights. You'll find the link to the podcast page, or you can head on over to www.betteroutcomes.show sign up. There's a few different places on that uh, page. You can sign up to get notified and we will uh, send you an email with a link to the episode whenever we whenever we release a new one. We tend to release them every other Wednesday. Sometimes there'll be bonus episodes in the interim. You know, working on this book for the last <clears throat> year and a half, I feel like a lot of those bonus episodes went the wayside because I was just trying to crank out <laughs> finish up the chapters and get the manuscript into the publisher. So um, that's done and in the past now. So hopefully we'll, we'll get to do a little bit more of that in the future. And if you happen to be a, a clinic owner or administrator, um, maybe even a, a marketing officer at a, at a private independent healthcare clinic, and you want to uh, look at a way to attract, acquire, engage, and retain more clients, um, reach on out to us at www.betteroutcomes.show or uh, Um You can grab a spot on my calendar there. I'm pretty sure there's links to that on the website. Um, or just shoot me an email at rafi, R-A-F-I, at rehabupracticesolutions.com. Um, and let's just have a conversation about what you've got going on and whether it makes sense to, to try to put a system in place for it to, again, attract, acquire, engage, and retain more clients. Uh, That's it for us this week. Until the next time, everyone be safe, be healthy. I will talk to you then. Thanks for listening to The Better Outcome Show, where we explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Our hope is that you walk away from each episode informed, equipped, and empowered to push the boundaries in your own practice or business. We want to give you the tools to help you build strong, long-lasting relationships with your patients and clients, helping meet their goals, improve their health, and achieve better outcomes. Learn more at www.rehabupracticesolutions.com. We'll catch you on the next episode.